We all deal with the Sunday scaries, right? Sunday scaries are those, oh shit, stressful, nervous, can't sleep, dread feelings that hit you on Sunday evenings when you think about work or just freaking life. Unfortunately, you can feel that same pit in your stomach any day of the week. Thankfully, Sunday Scaries CBD gummies were made to defeat the crap that life throws at us. These are the perfect CBD gummies for professionals on the grind, super moms, students, party animals, and everyone in between. Look, I get really nervous before these interviews that we do, so I take two CBD gummies every Sunday before these interviews, and the Sunday Scaries are gone. I have no problem with these interviews. So we've partnered with Sunday Scaries to bring you an incredible offer. Head over to sundayscaries.com and use promo code DELUXE15 at checkout to get 15% off of your entire order. That's sundayscaries.com and use promo code DELUXE15 at checkout to save 15% off of your entire order. This is Take on the World with Johnny and Mike. And, you know, people always ask me, hey, you got a podcast? What's it about? Uh, I don't know. You ever want to uh, cut your fingers off or learn about a sharp knife? <laughs> we could tell you that. <laughs> How about uh, murder mysteries or uh, hauntings or any kind of fringe subject? Anything you could think of. We take on everything because we take on the world. Now you go take on the world. This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to DeluxeEditionNetwork.com. That's DeluxeEditionNetwork.com. Welcome to another episode of Deluxe Edition. I am your host, Casey Shearer. Joining me, as always, the 10-cent beer night, L. Ray Sexton. What's going on, Casey? Not too much, buddy. How are you? Uh, We're having a great day today. Yes, we are. Before we get into the house cleaning, tell everyone who our guest was tonight. Our friend Gregory. Our friend Gregory. Our friend Gregory. Good guy. A lot of fun to talk to. Real good guy. You might know Greg from television shows such as It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. Hunter, Murphy Brown, Head of the Class, Walker, Texas Ranger, Silk Stalkings, Days of Our Lives, Baywatch Nights. Or movies such as Cliffhanger, The Last of the Dogmen, Cahoots, The Italian Job, or Johnny Virus, Gregory Scott Cummins. Action USA. 
No, dude, Action USA is one of my favorite movies. Like, I know as a, a personal friend, like Greg's like, man, I can't believe you like all these shitty movies I was in. But it's like, dude, I love these movies. It's good. It's good. Real good. So, yeah, we talked to Greg, and he's also in uh, Bosch and Bosch Legacy, Amazon Prime, and uh, now uh, Freezy. Bosch Legacy is on Freezy. So go check those out. He's on the new season of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Uh, But before our interview with Greg, let's just do the quick house cleaning. We are a part of the Deluxe Edition Network. You can find all of the other great shows over at deluxeeditionnetwork.com. The podcasts of the month for November are Beard Laws and Take on the World. Go check them out. Beard Laws is on YouTube and anywhere else you can listen to podcasts. And uh, same as Take on the World. They're they're everywhere. YouTube and uh, everywhere else you can find podcasts. We are on Instagram at Deluxe Edition Pod. Ray, what do you do over on the Instagrams? I post nonsense and bullshit all day long over on Instagram. So if that's the kind of things you like, head on over there. Find out what celebrity's birthday it is today or what movie came out or just see some meme about poop. Nobody knows what I'm going to post. It's a lot of fun. It is. It's so much fun. I've been laughing at a lot of the memes lately on the, on our, our Instagram. All right. Uh, let's see. If you'd like to check out all of our other shows, you can go over to deluxeedition.show. All of the other shows are over there. Come over and check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash deluxe edition pod. If you'd like to support the show, come over to patreon.com slash deluxe edition pod and find the show immediately after it's recorded and unedited. If you would like to know what Ray and I talk about off air, sign up today. Mm. And what else, Ray? What am I missing? Um, if you want your grandmother's picture on a mug, you can head over to the 10 cent beer night podcast at T public and just, you know, send me a picture. You can do it on Instagram to our deluxe edition page and, uh, I'll put it on our page. Everybody can get a, a picture of your grandma on a cup. You know, the holidays are coming. Yeah. You, you, know, you can actually send me a picture of anything and I'll just put it up there as long as you're going to buy it. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't even have to be an image that you own. No, nah, I don't care. It could be a picture of somebody else's grandmother. I really don't care. It could be a picture of B. Arthur. All right. Let's see. And if you want an official deluxe edition T-shirt, go over to whatamaneuver.net slash collections slash deluxe dash edition. All right. Am I missing anything, Ray? Mm, I don't think so. Anything else you want to tell the people? No. Maybe about following? No. All right, fine. Look, can you help us out? Our Facebook page could use a couple more followers. You know, it's not asking a whole lot if you just head over there, hit the like button. And if you're, you know, if you're, if you're in the mood, you could hit Instagram and YouTube and just like all that. And maybe leave a review on Spotify or Apple or Amazon or wherever you listen to us. You know, maybe spend three, four hours just liking things and leaving comments. You know, maybe you're pooping or at the doctor's office or 
you know, you're just bored at work. You can help us out a lot with those simple little things. Yeah, it really helps a lot. So rate, review, tell your friends, subscribe, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And now here's our chat with our friend, Gregory Scott Cummins. Hey, buddy. How you doing? Good, man. How are you? I'm good looking. Yeah, you are. <laughs> looking good, man. Yeah, well, I'm I'm about uh, almost three weeks. I've been fighting COVID here. I, I'm uh, tested negative about uh, five, six days ago, but I still have a little stuff I'm dealing with. But uh, but other than that, uh, all is well. That sucks, man. How do you know how you got it? No, no. I, no just I just got out and about the 18th. I I got a cold. It got really bad, and then I tested myself, and I. First time I got COVID, I, I just uh, I have no idea. I just people are going around without masks and it's uh, in the air more. You know, I think I'm just shopping or something. I don't know, but uh, I've been getting all my vaccinations and everything. But uh, but uh, maybe that helped make it not worse. I I don't know, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, buddy, man, you look good though. Man, it's been a while, man. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, 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 you know, a lot of stuff, you know, a lot of stuff. It's been a crazy year, you know. Yeah. But uh, you guys doing okay? Yeah, so far so good. I just got laid off, but other than that. It's... Yeah, you mentioned that. Wow, what a pain that is, huh? Yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> Jeez, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah but uh, yeah, it's slow for all of us. You know, we've been on, we've been on strike for a while, so, uh, you know, not a lot happening. But, uh, but actually for me, that's been good. I had a back surgery, uh, eight, well, you know about it eight months ago. So I'm still kind of recovering from that. So actually wasn't too bad timing for me because yeah. I was able to do a lot of stuff anyway. What, what, so what's going on with the strike? Tell us about that. Uh, any, any news on that? I know you're, you've been on the front lines with a lot of those strikes. I've seen the pictures you, you're, you, you get down there and yeah. pick it with the people just waiting. No details. Uh, got another potential uh comeback from the producers and and there are negotiating committees going over it but uh you know this has been a needed thing 14 years we've given them discounted pay up front for a long time for the streaming stuff and very little on the back end or nothing uh in the beginning and uh you know and and a lot of the tv and film stuff that goes to theater or tv uh they're not rerunning stuff anymore where we used to get residuals from it but uh it's just going to streaming as well. So uh, the, the blue collar actor uh, income has gone way down over the last 14 years, a little more every year, uh, more and more and more. So uh, that's what we're, we're fighting right now. Uh, it's changed the whole model of uh, how actors are paid, you know, and uh, it's necessary. We, we had to do this. We've only got 17 percent of our union members who make enough to make insurance anyway and only about three percent of our union members uh make a living every year so uh it's a small percentage but the income has just gone down a lot because this is a whole new model and and we've given them 14 years since uh, they started the streaming and and uh you know giving the discounts on the upfront pay and and uh, to prove the model, you know, they didn't know if they could make money in the beginning, but uh, they're obviously making money now and they're they're selling yeah. this stuff worldwide. And uh, and uh, they'd like to keep it that way, you know, uh, and 
you know, so we need to stand up for ourselves. It's very necessary that we did this. How does a show like uh, so you you were on the show Bosch and then now you're on Bosch Legacy? Yeah. So that that is on just the streaming service. So like, how does that play into? Well, we shot uh, season two of Bosch Legacy before the strike happened. And so everything's delayed for shooting season three and any uh, spinoffs that would come off of Bosch and Bosch Legacy. They've got a couple that they've announced that they're going to do. But all, you know, once the strike started with the writers initially and then the actors a couple months after that, uh, the writers have settled now and now they have to settle so they can get in and write things now. But uh, once the actors settle, well, then uh, then they they can start pre-production and start stuff up and, and get things going again. But everything shut down. But anything that was shot before and uh, edited and all that, uh, that's why Bosch uh, season two, Bosch Legacy uh, came out here on the 20th, I think, of October. And that's airing now. Uh, they, they delayed it. They usually come out every year with each season uh, in April, roughly. Uh, but this year they held it to October, and uh, that's airing now. The, the, they've got eight of the ten episodes that are up on Freebie TV uh, off of Amazon. So, uh, and uh, all the seven seasons of Bosch are up there too, and uh, and uh, and they can be viewed. But uh, but as far as the next season, uh, you know, hopefully we'll we'll finish the strike shortly, and and things will get going again. And, and then they'll start shooting and everybody will start working again. Sure. So like when, when Bosch, the first uh, show ended, was there any talk? Like, did anybody know that Bosch legacy was going to happen when that ended? Well, I, I, I don't remember. I, I, uh, I think they did mention that it was ending and that, that they were going to start a new spinoff. Yeah. Which was Bosch legacy. I don't even think they had a name initially. Yeah. We so like is it I know, other than like the actors and everything because it because it is on a different platform is it are you working with any of the same crew like the like the camera crews like how does that work is it is it a completely different people, well they use some people that were some it's the same production company okay you know, yeah so it's the same producers um and, and they uh this follows the the, the books there's a point where uh, Bosch stopped being a police officer he retired or quit and retired and he became a private investigator in the book. So this led that then off to the new chapter Bosch uh, seven seasons moved into Bosch legacy where he's a private investigator. And so they use some of the people that, uh, that were from the, uh, from the first, uh, you know, seven shows of Bosch, but, uh, but uh, they've increased the role of uh, Maddie, which is uh, Bosch's daughter in the show. And uh, she's got, more of a lead role now, although she was a series regular before as well. And then they bring some of the other characters back. They brought Creighton Barrel back for season one, and we're in a little bit of season two as well. And a lot of the other characters, Mankiewicz and Pierce and Vega and some of the other detectives, they, they brought back and they brought back uh, J. Edgar, Jamie Hector uh, for this second season. I, I, I should, I should say, uh, I, I, if anybody hasn't seen the season two, I don't want to say too much, but, uh, sure. but it's out there now. Yeah. yeah. And season one left off with, uh, Maddie, uh, being kidnapped. So, uh, I won't say anything more about what happens in season two, but, uh, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, no, that's why I was curious about the same crew because you know I watch all of Bosch, you know, and I started. Well, I didn't get into too much of you know having this show, man. I have to do a lot of research for the show, so I, I didn't get to watch all of the Bosch Legacy yet. But um, from what I did see, I mean, it did seem like a pretty seamless. You know, like oh, the, yeah, yeah. like the yeah. production and everything is. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the same Bosch character, and it just continues another chapter of his life, and it's with some of the same people, you know, and and uh, and uh, it's uh, it's it's great. I mean, you know, it's it's uh, being received very well, and it's just a continuation. And you know, Michael Conley wrote uh, Lincoln Lawyer uh, as well, and that series is on Netflix, and and that's Bosch's half brother, uh, the Mickey Haller character. Oh, and, really? Yeah, yeah, and oh, uh, Matthew McConaughey played the role in the feature film Lincoln Lawyer, uh, but um, the the person who plays Lincoln Lawyer in in uh, in uh, on the series on the Netflix series, uh, so Michael Connelly is basically writing and, and uh, along with Eric Overmeyer, and then they have other writers, and, and uh, they're kind of doing both series at the same time, and uh, and then they have a couple more spinoffs that they're going to do. Uh, awesome. Uh, that I think Michael announced uh, publicly. I think the Jay Edgar character is going to, uh, it's going to be an undercover FBI uh, working for the FBI undercover in little Haiti in Miami. They don't have a title for it yet, but Jamie Hector is going to be the star and, and lead in that one. And they have yet to cast um, the Renee Ballard, a female detective character who was based off a wonderful real life uh, police officer who's been one of our, two on-set advisors all through the Bosch years, Mitzi Hardick Roberts. And she's been a, a graveyard a homicide detective for many, many years. And now she heads up the LAPD cold case division. And, um, and they've talking about a series where uh, they're going to have uh, her character written into the books as Renee Ballard. And that's in the last three, four, five books. Uh, Renee Ballard has been in, in the Bosch books and uh, and uh, so and and most of the people who work cold cases in real life are retired cops who uh, kind of get expenses paid for and that kind of thing. And they just do it because they uh, want to find these uh, people who've committed murders who have not been caught. And, uh, you know, so we'll see. Maybe I don't know. Maybe Creighton Barrel will be in some of that. I don't know. But yeah. Uh, Maybe he'll have us back for season three of Bosch Legacy. I don't know. We'll see. But well, I know I know Creighton Barrel are a fan favorite, so if he'd be he'd be silly not to put you guys in. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, they they bring us back because they they got to draw the the female audience, you know. <laughs> so obviously, you know, with uh, the uh, the looks of of uh, Creighton Barrel, you know, we we attract the uh, the, uh, the the female viewers. Obviously, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that's why that's why we're having you on. <laughs> well, I, I know, I know. <laughs> Another show, man, that uh, is just great. That 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 uh, you you're a, not a not a regular on, but you, you've been brought back quite a few times. Uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh yeah. So uh, this year you were on the new season. This year you were brought back and you played a completely different character than your normal character. Yeah. I, uh, I, so I, I, did. Did you know getting the call to come back for that season that they were going to change your character, or or did they tell you, you know, no, come on down? 
they they called and said, "Hey, we we want you in about ten days. Is he free? Uh, we're going to shoot an episode to play uh, Luther's uh, twin brother." Uh, I, I I called my agent and I got back to him. I said, "Oh my God, I'm like forty five pounds overweight because I had this sinus surgery and." I was preparing for the back surgery and I was just horribly overweight and, and I was frustrated because I wanted to be trim like Luther has always been and then just clean shaved and, and play a different character uh, and basically play uh, Luther's brother or Rob, uh, Max's uh, uncle. Yeah. And, and uh, so instead of uh, Luther McDonald, which is Luther and, and, and um, Mac McDonald or uh, uh, Mac is uh uh, uh, I keep I, I get in the real life names mixed up. <laughs> uh, um, uh, Rob Mac- McElhaney, but, yeah. but he's called Mac because his last name is McDonald. So uh, Do- uh, Do- Ronald McDonald is his, his yeah. name, so, which is kind of funny. And uh, so I'm Donald McDonald, uh, Luther's twin brother. But I was 45 pounds overweight. But I, I kind of changed instead of playing, you know, you know, low key and lowering the voice. And, you know, being kind of badass and tough and, you know, macho. I just played him just a little more sensitive and likable and nice, you know, and sweet. And and because of the extra weight, too, and the voice change and all that, people go, wow, that actor really is is uh, is doing a good kind of, uh, you know, they thought it was another person, you know, but it, it yeah. was because I, well, I sounded differently, but I looked different with the extra 45 pounds, too, and clean shaven. So, uh but it was fun. And hopefully I'll have my weight down again when the strike is over and I'm all healthy again. And um, and uh, and uh, and they'll have me back as Donald and maybe Luther, too. I don't sure. know. In the same episode, that would be fun, you know, which would be easy to do. I just do the Donald stuff uh, or do the Luther stuff first with the beard and then shave it and then do the Donald stuff. You know? <laughs> is just- it? Uh- is it tough to do some of those Luther lines without, uh, you know, breaking character? No, not 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 when you're doing the lines. What's tough is listening to them and their reactions and their stuff and keeping a straight face. But then they're cracking up when I'm doing stuff. So it's kind of like every time we do something that we is unexpected, like we do a, a, a quick rehearsal before we shoot or something like that, you know, I'm cracking up at them. And they're cracking up at me and we kind of have to do it and then crack up and then do it with a straight face the next time because it's it's hard. And then you throw new things out. And uh, if I do something different, you know, they'll crack up a little bit and uh, or but mostly it's me cracking up at them. And, you know, my old acting teacher would she'd kill me. But, uh, you know, you were supposed to stay in the moment and not crack up at stuff. But sometimes it's just they're so funny that, you know, you just, they do something you don't expect and it's uh, it's hilarious. And, and sometimes I'll just, but I have to stay concentrated. You know, I mean, you have to stay concentrated in the character and, and so you don't ruin a take by cracking up, you know, but, but it's hard sometimes working those guys uh, with those guys. They're absolutely hilarious. And they have the kind of environment on set where, I mean, it's, we enjoy it. And we're appreciating each other's work. So cracking up isn't the horrible. It's not like we're in front of a live audience where you really have to stay in character and you can't crack up. Uh, so we enjoy uh, the, the things uh, or, you know, and, and it's just impossible, with, you know, uh, 
some of the expenses or things that uh, 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 Charlie does uh, is it, it, <laughs> hilarious. And Rob's hilarious, too. They're all very, very, very funny. And uh, so that that's the hard part for me is trying to keep a straight face when they're doing their stuff. Well, tell Ray about, um, cause you talked about it a little bit on the last time you were on, but I mean, it was two years ago at this point. So tell Ray and, and our audience about how you do get into the, the, the Luther character and like some of the, cause you, you know, you're known as a bad guy in a lot of, a lot of the movies that you've played in, sure. uh, you know, so like, how do you get into that character? Well, uh, yeah, no, it, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, I, years of training trying to explore the dark side of myself, uh, you know, uh, you, you can really create any situation, you don't you don't play a role that's a, a bad guy, and this is, Luther's a funny bad guy, but I have to play him seriously to a degree, to, so it's got a degree of honesty to it, otherwise it's just not believable, you see another actor just trying to be funny. And uh, but, you know, when I play somebody tough or dangerous, uh, you know, it's just there, there, there's a degree of changing your mannerisms, your voice a little bit. But it's it's a mental change. You, you know, you, you just uh, either create something from your life or a scenario that's going on or somebody did something that 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 uh, that, that you can play off of. And, and uh, you know, I I used to get people say, uh, well, how, how do you. You know, how do you play bad guys and, and kill women and children and do this kind of stuff? And I go, well, I don't think of them that way. I I try to imagine. I used to imagine I use affected memory, which is a method thing. But it's, uh, you know, I just imagine that somebody who's playing a role, I, I, I don't think of myself as a bad guy. So somebody, let's say somebody who I'm acting with across from me, I imagine that they killed my brother or my mom or something. And let's say if I really want to play with them and make them suffer and really be intensely mean or whatever. Uh, maybe they didn't just kill my mom, but maybe they tortured her and raped her before she got killed. So then I'm going to be, it's going to put me in a whole different mentality that I, I'm not just going to kill you, but I'm going to make you suffer. And I can play that, you know, but it's using your imagination, but you have to create that reality in your mind. The audience doesn't have to know what I'm thinking. So I'm looking to them like I'm a bad guy. But in my mind, I'm totally justified in being the way I'm being, because I as an actor, I have to make that real and honest for me. And uh, and that's allows me to do it. So if I'm doing it with a kid or a woman or or just some guy, uh, but I'm the bad guy on the show. But in my mind, I, I don't think of myself as the bad guy. I, uh, I have to justify it in a way. And, and I create whatever I can as an actor to, uh, to, uh, to do that. So uh, when I play Luther, I mean, you know, you just have to imagine that you're, you've killed people, you know, you're a drug dealer, you know, and, uh, and there's certain behavior characteristics that you study and you learn over the course of time look at people who are the really dangerous people as opposed to the people, you know, that are in your face yelling and screaming and going and all that. And they're all, you know, in a bar fight and they want to intimidate you and they get up and they're yelling in your face and they're screaming. But see, those are the people that really don't want to get in the fight. The guys that are really dangerous are the guys that'll kind of, somebody's coming up yelling, Hey man, what are you doing? They're kind of like that. And you just look at them and you go, you know, all right, take a swing. 
you know. No, seriously, take a swing, you know, and, and where you almost welcome it. Watch out for the quiet guys who know and give off the vibe that you can take care of yourself. And it's actually gotten me out of more than a few situ- uh, bad situations in real life where I just would click that thing on and, and I would just uh, play a character in real life where I just let them know, ah, you don't want to mess with me, but if you want to take a swing, you know, okay. You know, you see what happens. Yeah. And, and people kind of go, oh, oh, maybe I better not mess with this guy. You know, it's, it's just studying behavior and, um, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, it works, man. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you know, and, and uh, you know, over time, the more you do it, the quicker and easier you can do it. So Luther, uh, when I got cast on the on the thing, uh, a lot of the actors, I, I, I remember uh, they mentioned to me that uh, the reason I got cast is I didn't go in trying to play it funny. Where I was trying to be funny as Luther, I figured it would be best if I played Luther really dangerous and really tough. And, and that way, when they would play off me, then it would be hilarious playing off that. Because if I'm just trying to act real scary and I'm not really tough and I don't come across that way, it kind of diffuses the reality of the situation. And, 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 and it's me trying to get laughs when, when I'm actually not trying to get laughs. I'm just playing a character and the laughs are coming out of the situation or off of their reactions to me in the situation, which is where the humor comes from. And I saw mm-hmm. that. And, uh, and uh, so uh, um, what was it? Uh, Glenn, uh, Glenn mentioned that to me after the first season or two, he said, you know, I don't know if you know, but that's why we cast you is because you were the only one that, that uh, played it honest with a little heightened reality. But, you know, but honest to where it would be funnier playing off you than it would you trying to be funny. And uh, and so that that's just how that worked out. And I know, they somebody incredibly good looking. And, uh, and every, that's, that's really why I got it. Yeah. Every time you throw out a line about they better have drugs in their ass the next time they come back. I think that's pretty damn funny. What do you know about smuggling heroin through your anus? Hmm? Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if we ever talked about this. So you, you, were they fans of yours? Like, how did how did you did you have to audition for that? Or like, were they yeah, they, they were fans? Called out. Uh, it was a one day job for that first episode of the second season, which was the final episode of the season, I guess. And Danny DeVito had been added to that second season, and. I almost didn't go to the audition. I just said, wow, geez, just one day. And yeah, but it's a new series. Danny DeVito's in it. And I hadn't seen it yet. And she said, you know, you should go, go to the audition. So I just went to the audition, I, you know, and just read it. And I slicked back my hair. I had the goatee beard already with the points. And, and I just uh, played him low key, and a little dangerous. And, uh, you know, he was really originally written to be a, you know, multi mass murderer. You know, uh, along the lines of, you know, um, uh, what's his name from Anthony Hopkins and uh, Silence of the Lambs, you know, just somebody who's killed a lot of people. Sure. Uh, but after they we did it, they they edited the scene up to take away the stuff where I killed all the people 
because they said, well, let's have Luther back, but we'll make him a drug dealer. So they edited the stuff that referred to me being a murderer out. And, and uh, so I could get released from jail and then continue on in other seasons. <laughs> but, but since then, I've, I've killed people. But uh, <laughs> and I've been in jail as Luther for a while now. But, uh, yeah, I just uh, me and my girlfriend just ran through uh, almost all of this, the episodes that you were in as Luther and um, and then the one as Donald this this new season. Yeah. And after after the the newest one, when you played Donald, she turned to me and she said, your friend is a good actor. And I want to tell you something, Greg. She, that's not something she says about a lot of people that we've had on this podcast. Oh, well, that's nice of her. I'll, you know, tell her, give me your address again and I'll send her money. For saying that. Are you sure she didn't say, you know, he's a good looking actor or just, just, well, that was, actor? That, that was in there also. Yeah. I know. It you was. already knew that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right, man. So, you know, I have to, the reason I fell in love with you, man, is, you know, some of these older movies that you were in. So I have to yeah, yeah. have to talk about them. Uh, sure, sure. Let's start with um, Eric's Revenge, because I know there, that was there was just a big an- anniversary of that that just came oh, out, right? Yeah, yeah. I guess there was Phantom of the Mall. <laughs> yeah. So you worked with uh, one of our guests. Uh, he was the stunt uh, stunt coordinator on that, Gary Davis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Paulie Shore was in that. Morgan Fairchild, the world's most interesting man, Jonathan Goldsmith. He was the oh. owner of them all, right? Yes, yes, yes. It was great. In fact, that was—I'm not sure, but I think that might have been my first union film. Uh, yeah, it was fun. Uh, we just had them all, uh, the Sherman Oaks Galleria, and and every night it shut down about what eight o'clock or seven or whatever, and uh, we shot through the graveyard uh, for about what six eight weeks, something like that, and uh, and had the whole mall to ourselves, and it was kind of fun, you know. And I got the uh, let's see, I think I got my head chopped off, but I think before that I got a fork in my eye, and uh, yeah, just fun stuff. You know, yeah, it, you know, it's kind of slash, but it was horror, but it was kind of tongue in cheek too. you know, it, was, sure. it wasn't like really scary, but, but it was definitely like an eighties, you know, horror kind of thing. Yeah. You know, Rob Estes was uh, very well known after that. That was one of his first jobs. I, and he was just starting out, I think 19 and he ended up having the lead on the series, uh, some years after that, and I think he was on Beverly Hills 90210 as well. He became very well known. He had his own series there shooting in San Diego. What was the name of that series? Uh, I can't remember. I mean, I'm, I'm having blanking moments, but uh, but he did. He he became. I, I knew he was going to be very successful, but uh, and he was good. He was the young kind of male lead star. I was kind of the bad guy security guard, but I wasn't like the bad guy of the whole thing because that was Eric, the yeah. phantom of the mall. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, well, that's that, that, that was, uh, but that was a fun film. That was a fun film. And I, I, uh, that was the first time I did all my stunts for years, but that was the first time I did something where they, they actually said, Hey, we're going to pay you for this stunt. And I said, extra. And I went, Oh, okay. Cause I, I, they put a cable on my uh, on my waist and then down through my leg, and I I dived down head first off the elevator from the top of the elevator, and, and so I would appear 
you know, upside down with my head right there near uh, Rob, the lead, like I was chasing him. And I so I dived upside down. And, and as the elevator was rising to the third floor, I dove off the top and then the camera would catch me just appearing there upside down, you know, diving off the top. I did that about five, six, seven times or something like that. So that was fun. You know, so that was the first stunt I that I actually got paid extra for because, you know, it's just all those action films. I just, you know, did all my stunts. And, yeah. Prior to that, you, you were doing uh, like Action USA that, that we're going to talk about next. You did a lot of the, the stunts in that. All uh, Yeah, all my stuff. Uh, you know, I, I just didn't do high falls and, and full fire burns and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, I even did my own car stunts and driving and car crashes and stuff like that. But uh, but they didn't never had a stunt double for me. You know, I, I just did all my stuff. They You know, low budget films, they don't have the money for that. And even as I got up into the business years later, a lot of times I get hired because I did my own stuff, you know, and, and if they get a stuntman occasionally, they end up using me because it's just better if you can use the actor. But, uh, but um, yeah, so. Uh, Some like, of the explosions in yeah. Action USA are huge. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. John Stewart directed that and he's been a stuntman for years and he had a bad injury a motorcycle accident that during a stunt that he got injured uh so he was he, he got a bunch of stunt guys together wrote a, a a fun film that was kind of a smoking the bandit meets lethal weapon kind of film thing and and it was just two fbi agents taking this woman across the country because everybody was after her and uh we're getting chased by all these bad guys and people and uh and it was a romp. I mean, the whole film was just stunts, just amazing explosions and high falls, fire burns, full, you know, motorcycle off of a 120 foot yeah. bridge on a full fire burn and, and going off completely in flames and and uh, cars driving into houses and blowing up. And <laughs> and then the whole town of Waco gave us uh you know, they gave us about 40 cars to completely crash that were working cars. They, they, they gave us uh, all the police officers for free. It just, you know, section off when we we're doing high falls from buildings or whatever. Uh, and Bob Brown was a very well-known stuntman. Uh, and uh, he, he did some big stuff in that, uh, you know, backwards through the window, uh, you know, uh, you know, what, 15 stories. That was so high. And, uh, and, uh, and they would section off the streets and they, they, they didn't charge us any money for that. We didn't have to pay. We didn't have, they didn't charge us permit money. They just welcomed the film there and the whole town just, uh, gave us a lot of stuff that we were able to do for, uh, not having to spend as much money as it would have been somewhere else. And, uh, which is a, a, a why, you know, we went and shot in Waco and the production company was there as well. And uh, I guess Baylor University is there. And then there were just a lot of people there that, uh, you know, we, we we rented hotel rooms and we ate at restaurants and we provided uh, a lot of people to go there and, and, and film. That's what a lot of films do in Louisiana and uh, Louisiana, excuse me, and uh, other places around the country to get films to go there. And you give them incentives and, and uh, then they can shoot there. And a lot of people, you know, <laughs> outside the business make a lot of money you know and stuff like that but it was a, that was a fun film you know that was a fun film when you go out the back window i forget who the other actor's name was but uh what the hell's holding you guys into the car 
You guys are on the back of it. It's driving. You're fighting over that gun. And I'm trying to figure out how, how are these guys? What's holding them still in the car? Uh, I think we probably had somebody holding my leg. Uh, (laughs) You know, I wasn't cabled then. Uh, Although we did have the, the window blow right, right. When I went into the window, we had the effects guy blow the window. So it looked like I crashed through the window, but really right when I hit it, it blew. And so we came out, you know, and, and then we came out fighting and, and then, you know, it's just a matter of just, you know, uh, no, we were just, you know, the car was maybe only going about 20 or 15 miles an hour when we were actually shooting it. But, but it looked like we were going more like 40 or 50 miles an hour, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, (laughs) yeah, no, yeah, we were, that was, we, yeah, we just did our thing there. And (laughs) I think I jumped into the truck. That's what, yeah, that's what I was going to ask the same thing tied in. Um, that was you jumping into the truck from the car. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) But yeah, but it's not, you know, I, I was young athletic, you know, I, I, I did all, it was fun, you know, just fun just do all the, it's an action movie. You're going to do your action. You know? <laughs> and in those days, uh, I didn't even, I wasn't even smart enough to put in hip and knee pads and elbow pads and stuff like that. And me and the other guys would be fighting and we'd just be doing, working these fights out and falling on the concrete over and over again and all this stuff. And I, I we weren't even padding ourselves up. Uh, later on, I learned to, but even after you pad yourselves up, you do it enough times. It doesn't matter. It hurts. <laughs> you know, uh, but you know when you're young you bounce a lot more than you do when you get older you know so were you were you learning like the the stunts from some of those the old timers that were on that movie like ho cal and uh where's my notes at uh william smith who was the other guy ross hagan like they there's some old time like you know cowboy guys there no i'd learned that uh, you know i did all the theater years and we had stage combat in theater and you just know simply the camera's there instead of making it look a real like a real hit you know, punch for an entire audience from all angles. Uh, it was much easier to, you know, if a camera is here and, you know, a camera's like shooting, um, this, well, it's shooting this way at, at me and, and, and like this, this is the camera. I guess you can see my hand. And if a punch comes to here, uh, like this, right. Like if I'm like this, okay, let's, let's use the camera lens. So if I just do that and I do that, yeah. that's it. But I, I, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I, I only came that close, but, but by blocking it here, it looks like I just hit myself right there and, uh, or sweeping across and you whip your head and, you know, it's not, not a big deal, you know, just, and you, you just do. And and I used to say, you know, they'd be afraid of, you know, hitting you in the stomach and stuff like that. And, uh, I said, no, hit me. Hit me. I want to, I want to react. I need to know if you're hitting me to react to something. You don't have to go full force, but you can, you know, make contact, you know, and uh, sure. no, it's just, it's just playing around, you know, it's just, uh, you learn how to do that. And I, I did that. I did a lot of free theater for years. So in the early films, a lot of the low budget films that I did, um, you know, it was just, uh, I got to learn how to work with the camera and, and I got better and better at, uh, you know, doing all my physical fight scenes and stuff. And, but it wasn't hard to learn, uh, if you're athletic, you know, it's, it's pretty simple. Sure. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I suppose I did learn some here and there, but uh, it, uh, it it's it's not that uh, just learning how to do it with the camera as opposed to in front of a stage audience. You know? Sure. And uh, but you have any good stories about working with those guys about uh, 
Oh, William yeah, well, Smith or Ross well, Hayden. Smith, yeah, I, I was so excited to work with him because I'd seen him on Hawaii Five O before that. And he's just one of the greatest bad guys, I think, who was ever in this film business at all, TV and film. He he was the real deal. I mean, he had that deep voice, you know, William. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. You know, he's talking like that. You know, he's just he really. <laughs> Really, I mean, he was the. I mean, he was just a tough guy, and he was really tough in real life. He used to do underground fist fighting, you know, all that illegal underground fighting and stuff in real life. You know, I mean, he was a tough. He was tough. Uh, but uh, Ross and I became very good friends for years. Uh, he produced films after the Action USA, and uh, I did four or five with him after that. Very good friend. We used to work out at the same gym and stuff. Ross, uh, that became a lifelong re- relationship with Ross. And uh, funny guy, funny, just amazing. In fact, I want to, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, somebody I've been in touch with, Angus uh, McFadden, uh, who uh, who's, uh, was in uh, Braveheart. And uh, he knew he knows Ross well. As we were talking about writing a script, kind of an Ed Wood type of script, because Ross was just, a massive low budget producer and he loved corny zany stuff. And he had this great sense of humor and he was such an upbeat, amazing guy. It just, you never saw him in a bad mood. It was always, it was always positive and loved to laugh. And he had this great bellowing voice and big, huge laugh. And uh, I want to make a, I want to play him in a film, you know, because I, I got to know him really well through the. Year. That would be awesome. And Angus called me. Uh, and we were talking on the phone, and he said, "You know, we, we should. I want you to. We got to write a script about Ross." And and he was thinking of me playing him because I, I do some things that I, I guess reminded him of Ross because you know, like Ross used to love it when I'd like look at mirrors and kiss them, kiss in the mirror, and go, "I love you," and and do all this stuff, or I'd make lizard faces, and he just, <laughs> he just. You know, so I, 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 but I, I've done that goofy stuff, but Ross was that way too, you know, so it was just anything just, just to laugh, you know, just to have fun. You know, did he do merchants of death also then? Was that him? I don't know. Uh, it was I like, cause I, I started watching that on YouTube. There's a real bad copy of it on YouTube. Cause you're in that also. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a, merchants of death. I don't unless they change the name for it. Uh, is it called something called merchants of death now? Yes, yeah, I, I don't remember. Yeah, that. Merchants of Death. Let's see, slasher thriller, nineteen ninety nine. Uh, there was Click, the Calendar Girl Murders. There was, uh, there was. I oh what were the other ones? Um, I don't remember Merchants of Death, but unless you know, sometimes they take the names and they change them on these. Films. Yeah, yeah. Because because I started watching it on YouTube and it was like. It was a real grainy copy, so I didn't get through it a lot. But it was—it almost seemed like the exact same crew as Action USA. Yeah, very. Yeah, there's a bunch of them. There was another one called Blood Games. He was in, and I was in. We shot that up. It was about a female girl softball team that went into a local town, and then they get chased and killed off. Yeah, Blood Games. That's awesome. That's the one that I had you send that I sent you to sign. Right. right. I love that. I love that movie, man. Blood yeah. Games. Yeah. Um, it, Merchants of Death is Ross Hagen, Hocal, Clint Howard, Russ Tamblin, PJ Souls, William Smith. Hmm. Uh, I wasn't in that then, and I didn't know. I didn't know he did, but I know he did a couple. Of oh, I thought. 
I thought I saw your name. Yeah, you're 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 listed as being in that. Sydney is, that, is your name. They, they changed the name. Oh, that did I play the gay queen in that one? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't get through it all. They changed the name then. That's another film that had a different name, and it's called Merchants of Death now. If I'm in it. Um, oh, no, wait. Here's another title. Born. Does that ring a bell? Born. That's it. That's Born. Okay, that's, all right. that's In fact, that's when Angus called me. He he remembered he was doing sound on that, and he was just starting out, I guess, and I was playing this gay queen, and, 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 and not comedy. It was kind of a serious one, and I was like a pimp, uh, but a gay, and... and uh, and and a little violent, and, and uh, he complimented me. He's seen the film, and, and uh, so that was called Born. Yeah, so they changed the name for that. But yeah, uh, yes, I played. I, I played a very sensitive guy, but but they got in my face and they made me mad. So I slapped them, and I was really angry. <laughs> and uh, but you know, you just find your feminine side a little bit. And uh, but I was still tough, uh, you know. But. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. So, but uh, I actually I didn't see that film yet. I, I never saw the finished version of it. I just saw well, the scene. Ross sent me the scene that I did. Okay, yeah. There's a real grainy copy of it on YouTube. That's why I didn't get. Through. I didn't even get to your part. Yeah. Of it. Um, so you mentioned Blood Games, man. Let's talk about that a little bit. I, I know oh, we yeah. talked about it before, but I love that movie, man. So yeah. it's, it was just Halloween, so. Um, we're going to talk about that and we're going to talk about another one of my favorites, uh, right after that. So, um, just quick, quick blood game stories. I know the, the, the director yeah. didn't speak any English, right? Like you had to teach them how to play baseball, right? Who directed that was a female director and she was from Israel, but that was not the one she spoke English. She just, oh, okay. didn't, she just didn't, that, that was Hackalanard where they, oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. but, uh, the, she, but they didn't. Excuse me. Oh God, they didn't know anything about baseball, and uh, I, I did. So, uh, so they were uh, they were trying to shoot these scenes, and then the whole thing was coming into playing softball. A woman's a girls' softball team comes into a local town to play the local town for money, and uh, they're all in dainty little outfits, and and uh, and they were they didn't know how to shoot the, the stuff. I mean, you you got first base and second base and third base and home. There's a shortstop and second base, you know, and they thought the, the second baseman stands on second base and waits for the ball. And they had just no idea what was going on. And I had to like, tell them, well, what are you guys doing? This is not, you know, I was drafted uh, out of high school uh, in the 10th round by the Oakland A's. So I do know a little about baseball uh, and uh, I can go, but, uh, but I, uh, so I, I played, so I just helped them shoot and they, they kind of, and then when they, inner cut you know they didn't understand the stuff about the game so it's all kind of totally messed up you know uh it's like there's one out and then all of a sudden the inning's over and you're over to something else over here and then you but but that that just makes it kind of laughable and fun because it it was but the the whole story about uh you know, I my character get gets killed and and then that sets the town off uh, against the girls, and then Ross's character gets killed, who's the coach of the girls' team, and uh, Ross Hagen's character, and and then the girls they chase the girls through the mountains, and I guess they get killed off one by one. <laughs> it's just you know, and, but it's it's tongue in cheek. I mean, it's it's you know, I I did it for the money. You know, I'm trying to work my way into the business. You know, it wasn't it. 
you don't get to choose a lot of the films that you do and, and, uh, and, and you just work if somebody's willing to pay you and you just work on it. And, uh, and those films, uh, they made them to, to sell abroad. They were never going to come out in the theaters here. They weren't big budget films at the, the studios and, and were going to air in theaters. They, they sold instead of streaming in those days, they would make a film for as low money as you could, as little and then they would go to film festivals abroad and other countries would come in and they'd view the film. Sometimes they'd even buy the films as a package if you had some semi name in it or, or A plus or B minus name or whatever, or a, a B plus or A minus name. And then they'd sell it for a certain amount of money to this country and they'd sell it for a certain amount of money and they could air it wherever they wanted in the movie theaters, on TV, they could do whatever they wanted. And you just sold it to different countries. And so there was a whole market of people making films for 20, 50,000, 40,000, whatever, 30,000, 100,000, whatever, not too much. And and you make them as cheap as you can and, you know, throw in a little action, throw in a pretty girl or two and and um, sell it abroad. You know, And uh, that was the market for a lot of those low budget 80s films. Now, the stuff that was a little higher budget that had more name people in them, they did come out in the theaters and and there was really quality stuff. That's when Lethal Weapon came out and Die Hard and 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 a lot of great action movies. Uh, but but so the, a lot of the low budget films would kind of try to imitate them a little bit and, and make their own version of it with somebody who might be a recognizable name and they'd sell it abroad. And uh, so that's that's how I started getting into the business, uh, just uh, auditioning through. Uh, they had a, a newspaper that had auditions in L.A. and I would send my picture and I'd go to the auditions and I'd get either the lead good guy or lead bad guy role or something. And uh, and and, um, and then uh, I started eventually getting enough film on myself to where I finally got an agent and I started getting into the union and, and, and did a union film and, and then finally started moving my way up. Uh, that's kind of how it happened. That's how it started. So Blood Games was one of those films, you know, as I was working my way up, as was Hack o Lantern and Cartel. And, uh, and, and although Cartel was actually not that bad, I was, uh, that was Ronnie Hadar who directed that. And John, I'm sorry, produced it. John Stewart directed it. That, that was a very, it had William Smith in it as well. And, and, uh, and it was uh, Don Stroud was a bad guy. He uh, played a lot of bad guys in a lot of films for years. And, uh, and, and that, uh, and that was, uh, that was another, but the, it, it actually wasn't a bad, you know, for, for, uh, for what it was, but there were some like blood games and, Cage Fury and Hackalander, you know. Yeah, you know. but man, so for I know I know you got something right, but as bad as the movies are and like a low budget, like what you bring to them, like put like makes them a better movie because because you are a good actor. Well, I appreciate it, but you you do what you can. I mean, they throw scripts at you the last minute. It's kind of like soap operas or whatever. You you get twenty five pages or twenty pages that morning, and then you you they're setting up the lights and the camera, and you're memorizing the dialogue as quick as you can, and you do it. And then they just if you get through one take without blowing the lines, just let's let's move on. We got to go. You don't get it, you know. So they they're they're just trying to get through it, you know, and shoot it as fast as you can. You just do the best that you can. 
you know, and that's kind of when I where I learned at the very beginning that if if everything wasn't going just right on a take, I, I'd purposely blow a line just because I didn't want them to say, hey, no, we don't, we don't have time to do it. I, another take. And I said, well, we just spent an hour setting the the, ta- the the camera angle up. I said, let's just do it. We need another take. That was not good. And then when I learned that sometimes they go, no, that's good. We're moving on. And I go, okay, well, all right. If the take wasn't going well and we were halfway through it and it was really getting screwed up for, for this or that reason, uh, we just blow the lines, you know, just so we can't force them to do another take, you know, uh, on purpose, blow the lines, you know, uh, but uh, they didn't like that, but that's what you had to do. But, but it was, you know, it, you know, the better projects, though, you, you, you get a more opportunity to get the take that you really like to make the acting really right on with everything. And the lower budget projects, um, they, 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 you don't have, they don't give you the time to do it. So you just, you, you just do the best that you can, you know, that's all I, you know, and, uh, but uh, I look back at some of them and, you know, it's, it's, I kind of sh- shiver and I go, Oh God, you know, <laughs> you know but, but even the storylines of some is just kind of a little, but, but, uh, but I, I guess, you know, they become coming back, you know, a lot of people have been watching in the theaters and stuff and, uh, and they're 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 well. It's like watching, I guess, when we were young and, and going watching uh, filmmakers like like those uh, Boris Karloff films, or or you see some of the low budget stuff that Ed Wood made a long yep. time ago, and and you just sit back to and you kind of you're kind of laughing at the same time that you're watching. Sometimes they're so hokey they're actually entertaining, you know. So you know that's the way some of the, some of those were. Not not Action USA though had tongue in cheek, but it was an enjoyable romp through the yeah. whole movie, you know, and mm-hmm. as some of these others, so some of these others, some of them are funny, not trying to be funny. You know what I'm saying? So it, it's like that, like hack a lantern or something. And, yeah. Or I hate to say blood games. It's, it's sometimes they're just bad because, you know, but, but, you know, what can I say? You know, I, I can't, I, I can't say it's a, a wonderful film, uh, but I got to say it's <laughs> funny to watch when I watch stuff that's like that from the old days, you know. But, yeah. For a lot of us, though, it's not just the movie. It's when we saw it because we had to go to the store or, you know, all of our buddies got together. We'd watch those together. So now when you see something like that, it takes you back to that that place oh, in time. So oh, it's. So it doesn't really have to be that great of a movie because we already like it just because of when we saw it. Yeah, and then there's stuff, you know, I mean, I, I remember, I can't tell you how time, you know, this was more of a, you know, a top line of that kind of fun, goofy film like Smokey and the Bandit with Burt Reynolds, you know, and, and Jackie Gleason, for God's sake. I mean, incredible actor, right? But but the, the movie's silly, but, you know, it was a larger budget, obviously. But it's fun to watch, you know, it's just, yeah. I've seen that on through the years periodically and I'll just watch it because it's just, and you know, Burt Reynolds got mugging with the camera and doing the little, his little he's funny. He's, he's, it's, it's and, and Jackie Gleason getting all upset and angry and all that. There's, there's a little tongue in cheek to it while they're chasing each other or he's chasing a Burt Reynolds character and Sally Field was in it. So that is, you know, it's, it's kind of, um, so they're, they are fun to watch. Yeah. 
Yeah. Going back to Action USA, which what did come out first, uh, Lethal Weapon or Action USA? Honestly, I I think Lethal Weapon by a year. I think, uh, and again, he didn't try to make it after. No, Lethal yeah, Weapon, no. But I'm just saying because it was, you know, they were cops, and in, in Action USA, we were like FBI agents. Sure. But, but again, I I kept seeing, uh, you know, I was the white guy with long hair, and and. Uh, and uh, and uh, uh, William was uh, you know black, and, and so it was kind of like Mel Gibson and Danny Glover, and yeah. we had rep, you know back and forth stuff that was humorous occasionally, and you know we're in the middle of a shooting scene and saying something aside to each other and doing you know that little stuff that uh, or you know who was great at that was Bruce Willis and Die Hard, you know it was just great at the little asides, yeah real action stuff where your life is in danger, but he would say these little things and little tongue in cheek stuff. And that's what uh, Mel Gibson did a lot. Uh, and Danny Glover did a lot in lethal weapon. So, you know, we threw that style in a little bit, you know, where, sure. it was, you know, we we're playing it honestly, but there's, we had a little banter, you know, and, and honest banter, but, you know, again, we didn't play just deadly serious. It was, that's what makes it interesting and fun. You know? Yeah. Um, now, I don't know if people know this or not, but you and I, you know, we had lunch together out in California. Yes. We're friends. I text yes. you. Um, yes. When 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 we had lunch, I remember you telling me about because I had just shot that uh, the little scene where, when I was in Friday that Friday the Thirteenth fan film, and I yeah. was like, "Yeah, well, everything was one camera, like you know that we had to set everything up here." Yeah. And, and you were like, "That's the way we we fucking did it all the time." <laughs> um, and I think you told me about uh, when you worked with Jean Claude Van Damme about uh, in was that Inferno? Yes, and you had to keep setting up like when you did the same scene like so many different times where they set well, the camera up. That that would be. Uh, that's why things went very slow. And if you had an action or fight scene and you had to do it a wide shot with everybody in it with one camera, big camera to set up lighting, you got to change all the scenery, everything around. Then they got to shoot the other angle wide shot. So they got to move the whole room and change the lighting and, and move the camera set up for that and then they come in for the medium shots the two shots you know the the over the shoulder the close-ups and each one is a totally different setup pointing at a different angle 360 degrees around because people are facing each other so you got to cover the whole thing and when you do it with just one camera it was very slow and tedious work and if you throw a fight scene into that and have to cover all those angles. Now we just got handheld cameras, and sometimes we shoot with two, three, four cameras at the same time, and it's digital. It's much easier. But in the old days with one camera, yeah, you had to do it over and over again at all these different angles. And when you're doing fight scenes, you're spending the whole day sometimes on one fight scene, and you're just doing it over and over. So if you're that one you brought up, what was with the uh, I think that was uh, John Avelson who directed Rocky, uh, who directed Inferno with Jean-Claude Van Damme and Pat Morita was in it. And I played a bad guy and, and um, his character comes in and me and one other guy, we get beat up and killed. Uh, but, you know, I had a scene where I get shot. Well, he, he 
kicks me in the balls, kicks me in the face, takes me across the room, and then I get shot with an arrow. And then, and then John Adelson wanted me to drop to my knees, hardwood floor, make a pause, and then come down onto my face without using my arms or anything to, you know, shoulder to, you know, he just wanted it to be boom, you know. And so from standing, I'm six foot four. So going down to my knees is one drop, takes all my weight, stop there, and then go forward again. And and well, we did it five times, 10 times, 15 times, 20. I did it 45 times. And by, you know, I finally said to him, and, you know, I, I, w- I was more vocal with other directors. I'd say, you know, you got one more take with this, guys. That's it. I'm not, I'm too, you know, I can only do so much. But I did 45 takes of that and my knees and, and my face. I mean, but, so what I would do is I'd come down onto the forehead and have it hit off the ground after I'd come to my knees and, and then fall flat. And I kept sneaking my shoulder and he goes, no, no, no shoulder, no shoulder. I want to come down just your head. And I, I did it and I did it. I did it. And finally I, I said, this, this is it, one more take. And I, I, I said, I can't, you know, for you, even with the knee pads and stuff like that, you go down on your knees from six, four and your whole body onto the knees, a hardwood floor. There was no padding. The camera was coming in and I was falling right into it. You know, so you'd see me down there. The camera was low. You could see the floor. So you couldn't put padding down there and then boom. And, and we just did it over and over again. And, but that's, uh, I let myself be abused a little too much on that. But, uh, uh, and that was also after uh, accidentally Jean-Claude uh, uh, during one take um, uh, brought his le- uh, shin up with a full leg kick up after he kicked me in the groin and I bent over and he had a full leg kick came up, shin hit me right under the nose, knocked me out. <laughs> Uh, I, I, he spun me around the room and I have no idea how I got to the other side of the room and then blood spurting out and they all, yeah. And I I had a little, uh, eight or 10 second TKO standing, um, uh, standing knockout there. And, uh, and then, you know, ice packs and all that stuff and it broke my nose, but, uh, we straightened it and, uh, and then, uh, you know, I, I don't, it was an accident. Sometimes accidents happen and, uh, You know, and uh, but he, I don't uh, resent it. It was just an accident. But he was so nice about it. He was so apologetic afterwards. You know, I mean, he's, he's French, I guess, right? So he kissed me like two hundred times. <laughs> Come up, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay. Sounds sounds to me like you were too pretty at the time, and he was trying to get some of that pretty off you to make him look better. I get that so much. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why, you know, I spend years trying to scum myself out so other actors won't be intimidated standing next to me on screen. But, it, you know, I grow the beard, the long hair. I, I use makeup to make me look uglier. It just it doesn't help, though. I, you can't hide it, I guess. You know. The last time you were on the show, you told us about another time that you were hurt in a movie with Danny Glover. Uh, I can't remember offhand because it's not in my notes. Um, are you ready to tell us the actor that? Uh, oh, that wasn't with Danny Glover. He wasn't in that. No, I know no, you didn't get hurt by Danny Glover, but no, I, yeah, that wasn't the film. That was that was switched back with Danny Glover. I did not get hurt during that film. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, no, I mean I, he almost you know cut my you know what off with a knife. <laughs> yeah. uh, 
but no, that that I think you might be thinking about Stone Cold. Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, Stone yeah. Cold. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ready to tell us who the, the actor that hurt you on that was yet? Yeah, uh, that's something that I got pissed at because of his attitude afterwards. Uh, he was giving me a chokehold in the helicopter, Brian Bosworth. <laughs> and uh, he was first film out of pro football, and he had the lead in uh, Stone Cold, which is really a, a great biker film. Lance yeah. Hydrickson played the lead biker. Uh, uh, William Forsyth. Uh, 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 played one of the other bad guys. Uh, it was a good film, uh, kind of a cult biker film now. A lot of people have seen it. And uh, and I played AWOL, uh, a biker, and uh, and uh, ex-military guy who went AWOL, whatever. And I'm just, I'm flying the helicopter. And so he's choking me out in the scene. And, and, uh, I, and he was doing it so tight in the first take, or actually we're just rehearsing. And, and he was doing as hard as he could using his forearm right into the throat and I couldn't say my lines. And I, I kind of went like this. I'm waving. I can't, I couldn't talk. And and so I, I said to him, I said, you gotta, gotta put my Adam's apple in, in the crick right there and make it look like you're squeezing really hard, but not, not the forearm because then I, I can't talk. You're squeezing my throat. I can't talk. So put it there and then make it, you know, lucky. And then I will make it like you're really squeezing me hard to, you know, it's just a normal thing. You, 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 you make it look like you're, you give a little pressure, but then you make it look like you're using all your force and let the other actor react off of it. You know, you don't really punch somebody in the face, sure. them take the hit, make it, sell it. And uh, he broke another guy's cheekbone on, on, on the film, uh, you know, just made contact. And, and there was another scene where we had fights and, and he kept coming closer and he kept punches started flicking my nose. I kept going back on each take and I go, Brian, you don't, the camera's here. You, you can be a foot from my face. You don't need to make that punch come and touch my nose. You're too close. And, but so this was a thing that the thing uh, for the thing. And so he next take, he does it again with the forearm and he popped my Adam's apple out of the socket, you know, it just kind of popped right over here. And, uh, and it started swelling up, couldn't talk, you know, whole thing. And I'm just, I'm, and I just literally just, I'm waving to the director and and I can't talk. And then I pop it back, crack it it back in. And I'm, and then I just said, God, Jesus. And I'm, you know, swearing at him. I go, God, what the fuck are you doing? And then I yelled at the director. I said, you know, where the son, you know what? I'm, I'm trying to defend myself. And he turns around and instead of apologizing, he was a jerk about it. And I, I don't care that I'm telling this story now because maybe now some, he's realized back then he was a jerk, but uh, it's the only time I've ever had. Everybody is so nice. Accidents happen when you do physical stuff. People make mistakes, you apologize, whatever. Sure. But, he was just a jerk about it. He just, you know, he was in that football mentality, you know, you know, he pussy, you know, and I go, what the fuck? You know, I shouldn't say that way. You know, what, the, what, what? This is not what actors do. We're not playing pro football. You make it, you know, he just didn't know anything about being a professional actor. You don't really do that. I've heard some stories about Steven Seagal and, and uh, where he purposely hurt people. Um, and say to the cameraman, there's just going to be one take and I'm going to make contact. 
So get the shot and pay him off afterwards. And I had some stunt people I knew that left the film that he was on that quit on him because he did that and came over to stone cold. And, and they told me about that, but, uh, uh, but then Brian, you know, that it's the only bad experience I've had. I've worked with a lot of wonderful people and, and sometimes, you know, occasional jerk here and there, but it's very rare, but nobody was that bad with, uh, you know, but Brian, uh, he, he was immature and, and he was trying, he was on this macho kick and he was trying to prove that he was a tough badass uh, out of pro football. Um, and it, his long career didn't work out for him way little things so you know that was a film that uh and i wasn't the only one he heard on that film so um by the time they got to my scene all these other people had been hurt so i already knew what i was getting into with the scene with him and so when he did that i tried to make it very clear this is how you do it and uh, he didn't do it and he did it harder the next time popped the adam's apple out and then had no apology whatsoever from him at all yeah and, that sucks yeah at least that, you know, at least john claude was apologetic when he oh was, yeah right? no and that was an accident yeah know? and 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 of course that's what normal people do but yeah well you see how far his career i mean he, he didn't but really that's who it was i didn't want when i got off the interview last time uh i i mentioned that he played pro football and a few people said was that fred dreyer and i go no because <laughs> great fred had me on hunter he, he did uh, a, a series had me on for a bad guy for land's end down in cabo san lucas he made his own independent film called highway 395 he had me play the lead bad guy in that and then he did the return of hunter in san diego and, and he you know nbc wanted to hire some you know name actor to play the bad guy and fred just said uh-uh this is written for greg i want greg to play it and and he he just was good to me through the years. I mean, really, and he's a great guy. Has a great dry sense of humor. And and because uh, I'm doing my stuff, you know, whenever I meet somebody, I say, hey, you know, I have so much respect. Uh, thank you for hiring me. I have so much respect that that you would hire someone as good looking as me to play opposite you. And then Fred just kind of looked at me and he goes, so you think you're good looking? You know, and, and, you know, he didn't laugh immediately. So I'm going, oh, shit, you know, and he didn't get it or, you know, and then then he but he was turning it back on me. You know, yeah. he knew I was joking. And, and then so he threw that back at me. So he's got a great dry sense of humor and, and he's a, a really good guy. And I didn't want people thinking when I said somebody who did something <laughs> physical and Fred and I had some great fights we did in some of the films. Uh, that uh, Highway 395, and, and we had a long fight scene out in uh, Death Valley in a 120-degree temperature inside a aluminum thing, and we're fighting. And Fred was 57, I was 47, and he was so strong. <laughs> and I go, God, man, that's why he was – he should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He's uh, he he's really a strong guy, and uh, but – but, you know, he was always professional, courteous, and he had to lead in a, a, a huge hit series for years. I mean, you, you've got to be a, a good guy to, to do that. And he hired a lot of people, and he was really good to me through the years. And I, I didn't want people thinking from our last interview that uh, I was talking about the – because the, uh, he's the only other football, pro football player that I've acted with. And, and it was not Fred Dreyer. Fred did. <laughs> 
is the opposite. Friends, you couldn't have been more wonderful to me through the years. No, Brian Bosworth. <laughs> Brian <laughs> Bosworth. And uh, I, I didn't say it for years because I, I, you know, you just, you don't talk about stuff. You don't want to, eh, you know, you, you don't want to make waves. You don't want to sure. say things that might keep you from getting a job future in the future, whatever, that kind of thing. But yeah. But uh, there are enough people that worked with him through the years that have come out with stuff that I figure it's okay that I come out with it. Uh, talking about Brian Bosworth, but uh, but I never worked with Steven Seagal, but I've heard a lot of real stories from people that I know dealt firsthand with him. And uh, well, speaking but, uh, of sports, you briefly mentioned that you were drafted by baseball. Yeah. So both of those career choices, actor baseball player are what about a million to one long shots well i I played i i uh i chose to go play baseball in college but it didn't work out that way i I turned down the uh, baseball scholarship to uop in san jose state to play i got the football scholarship at cal berkeley and as a punter and they promised that I could play baseball in the spring, and I wanted to improve my draft position with baseball. So I took and I won the starting position my true freshman year there in 1974 at Cal. And uh, and then it's a long story, but Mike White, kind of uh, the head coach, oh, I shouldn't say this too much, but <laughs> well, he changed his, so he promised me I could play baseball. And then he said everybody out for spring football when Steve Barhowski gave up his senior season in baseball, junior season in baseball. He was the first team All-American catcher, and he chose to go for his senior season. He beat Vince Ferragamo out at Cal uh, and uh, to be the quarterback his senior year. And so he showed up for spring ball, and Mike White said, if you don't, anybody who doesn't show up for spring ball loses their scholarship. And I, I didn't find out until three years, two and a half years later, that he wasn't allowed to do that. And that's what kind of came to a head three years later um, uh, with him. But uh, but yeah, so uh, so I didn't. I stopped playing baseball because I had a bird in the hand. I was the punter at Cal for two years, and then I redshirted my junior year, and then we had a little run in going into my final two years, and I transferred to the University of Hawaii and punted there, which turned out to be the greatest experience of my life. The people from Hawaii, the my teammates, the coaches, and uh, it was just the greatest experience I could have ever had. So, uh, so the sports, uh, I, I should have had a lot longer uh, in the NFL, but I kind of, eh, I don't want to go into a lot of the details, but I kind of missed my window. I kind of screwed the pooch, as they say. I uh, had an injury in camp. I held out camp with Green Bay uh, uh, in the 79 draft uh, and uh, on the advice of my agent, which I should not have done. And then the next year I was with the Chargers in camp. And then uh, during camp there that first week, I ripped my thigh muscle from hip to knee. And uh, I just, uh, I, I kind of had said, I didn't want to be a 26-year-old rookie and, and do it for another year. So I just, just, and they were only paying so much back in those days. So I, I, I should have had a nice long 15-year career in the NFL. Uh, but, uh, but, but it, it just, uh, and then I found, uh, figured out the only other thing that I loved was acting, uh, which I did through college. So, uh, so I, uh, I, um, uh, uh, 
said, well, I did it for fun in college, six years of undergraduate school. So, uh, you know, I took acting and directing and all that stuff. And uh, and then I said, well, let me apply to a master's program, get some real heavy duty training if I want to compete against the best. And uh, and that really uh, cemented it in for me. I got accepted and went through the UCLA's uh, master's acting program. And um, so at 29 years old, I, I started working professionally. Uh, and started, uh, did theater, uh, and then uh, PCPA out in the Solvang Santa Maria area. And then I came back to LA to work in TV and film and had to slowly work my way up and uh, didn't know anybody, just started doing non-union films, trying to get film on myself to get my demo reel and, and just play whatever role that was thrown my way. And, uh, and then eventually got, uh, film, a union film, an agent, and, and, and started working my way up. And uh, so that, yeah, it's just, it's just, you just life, you, you got a lot of paths sometimes when you're younger, you know, and, and it just, but I always had this mindset from sports that I, you know, my mom was very strong. That if you want something bad enough and you're willing to work hard for it and you don't give up, that you will be successful and you will succeed. And so, and that's the way it worked within sports for me. That's why I got A's in school and, and you work hard and, you know, if you, if you even fall short of your goal, you came close, but you know, you're doing it. And, and so when I, I didn't know how I'd be a professional actor, but I knew that I enjoyed it and I was going to work really hard at it. And, and I just kept at it. But really, so, my, my good looks that, that got me a career. But, yeah. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, you keep saying it as a joke, but, I mean, it, it's not. It doesn't I know. Hurt, it's, it's, you know? So I mean, it's so true. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, so let, let's say you, I mean, Major League Baseball, NFL, either one of those happens. Do you still pursue a career yeah. in acting? Yeah, my goal, I I, I knew because I played Scrooge in seventh grade in A Christmas Carol, and I had a flair for it. I just picked up the dialogue quick, and I loved it, and and it just came out of nowhere. They just cast me, uh, and uh, I, I couldn't do it in high school because I needed to go to college. I needed to get an athletic scholarship, and all the sports were after school, so I couldn't do the, the drama in, in high school. Uh, but once I got to college, I started taking the acting classes and doing the plays and, and all that. And I, I started having, you know, getting better and better, and having success. And it was always in the back of my mind that whenever I stopped playing a pro sport, um, you know, figure 35, 40, whatever, that I would move into acting. That was always my goal. Um, and uh, the, the sports just ended at 25 years old, a little younger than I thought it would. And it took me a, a kind of a year or two to kind of figure out, you know, oh, oh, okay, well, let's move on to this now. And it, and I had to work at a few other jobs, actually making really good money, I had sales and selling insurance. I was making a lot of money, very successful salesman, but I wasn't happy. And I had to go, whoa, whoa, I, I can't do this for 25 or 30 years. I, I'm going to be miserable. And uh, it's not just about the money. So, uh that's when I pursued it and uh, I put everything into it. That's why a lot of people who want to 
get into the business and they want to become actors, but yeah, I'll do it for a year or two. But then, you know, if it doesn't work out, I have this to fall back on. Well, that's fine. That's great. But I had in my mind, I was going to do it or die. You know, I was going to live poor for as long. If I had to work for $400 a week in in a small theater in Albuquerque, New Mexico, that's what I was going to do. And, and I, I made up my mind that I, I, because I had to do that, that I had to do something that I loved and, and I loved acting and, and, and I did love theater too, a lot. So, uh, so for me, just, you, you may, you gotta, you gotta want it really bad and, or badly. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, uh, when, but when you have that drive, um, you need that drive to succeed because yeah. you're going to get doors slammed in your face. You're going to get a million no's. You're not good enough. You're too tall. Your hair's the wrong color. You this or that, this or that. You you have to be able to. It's just like sports to me. It, it, you work hard. You practice. You practice. You practice. You practice. You play a game. You win the game. You lose the game. Highs and lows. You're not going to win every game. You're going to maybe lose a couple games in a row. You got to come back. You practice. You practice. You come back, and then boom, you win. And then maybe you lose a game. And then you know uh, things happen. Errors happen. You know you 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 mess a throw up. You strike out occasionally. You're not going to. Everything's not going to be perfect. But you 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 keep going. You work yourself. You work as a team. You know that's what you know. It's just. That's that's what life is about. You've got stuff that gets thrown at you all over the place, stuff, negative stuff. You gotta just put your head down and overcome it. Or let it slide off your shoulders. You have a moment where you go, damn it, you know, whatever, and then you go, Okay, I'm not gonna let that bog me. I'm I'm going forward, I'm moving on. And I don't care what you are in life, you know. It's not just applying to sports or acting, it's anything. You guys know. You just have to move through it, move on. And, and you can't let your own mind become a negative, you know, you can't let negative thoughts come in. Ah, geez, I'm unhappy. I'm sad. I might not succeed at this. I, oh, they may not like me and, you know, whatever worries, you know, you, you, you can't, you gotta, gotta turn it. You can't go into, gosh, you can't go up, you know, bottom of the ninth with a man on second and, and, and behind by one run, two outs, and you can't think, oh, geez, I'm I'm probably going to strike out, you know. <laughs> I'm just, I hope I don't strike out. And everybody's going, no, you're up there going, I can't wait. I'm glad I'm up here, have a chance to win the game, and you want to be in that spot. And then when you're in that spot, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a hit, and you know it, and you got to think. And maybe you don't get a hit every time, but you think you are, and you got to you got it's positive attitude, and it's all about. All that. So it's for acting. I use that with auditions. You get a lot of no's. You have to go into each one without a negative attitude, positive all the way. I'm going to get this. I'm going to have fun with it. I'm going to kick ass, whatever. And uh, it's just like the the sports. You know, you can be in the Hall of Fame uh, getting one out of three hits in baseball, uh, you know, for your career. And that means two out of three hits you grounded out or flied out or struck out. And and that puts you in the Hall of Fame with a 333 average, you know. So uh, that's kind of the way I look at it. You know, it's just yeah. 
it's it, and that's the way sales was. You know, I would not, not. I would. I would not be able to deal with that rejection. Like with the, you know, I like if I didn't get every role, I would just fucking want to kill well, myself. Well, yeah, but but have you ever done any sales? Have you ever done any? You know, no. I mean, not. not I mean, yeah, I sold fucking weed forever. But. The difference between everyone's sales, you know, if you're selling a house, or you're selling a car, or you're, you know, uh, even a service. You know, uh, let's say you're a painter or something, and you're painting a house or something. You know, you try to do a good job. You, you know, but you're selling the car. If they, if they, you don't get the sale. Well, they don't like the car. Or they don't like the house, or maybe, you know, whatever. Uh, but it's the actor thing is they don't like you. You know, and you yeah. can't you can't let it. You, you got to think. You know, there's just a lot of people competing for the role. They're matching up with different character type, different looks, different ethnic groups, uh, heights, uh, weights. Uh, you know, they're they're matching up. There are a lot of reasons why somebody might get cast over another person, and and you just can't take it personally. Just yeah. like sales, you you just can't take that personally, yeah, even though. That's the first thing I tell people when they say, hey, I want to be a podcaster. I say, how's your skin? Is it nice and thick? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because not everybody's going to love you. No, no, no. Everybody loves us, though, right? Well, of yeah. course. you. Everybody loves you guys. Of course. Absolutely. Greg, your, your life is fascinating, man. But uh, another aspect of your life that I want to talk about that, that I just found out the other day is really fascinating um like your dad was howard hughes's right hand man yeah yeah for like that tell us tell us did you ever meet howard hughes no no i was no? A baby. i was in my was... mom oh okay yeah uh, she worked for howard um was uh head of human resources uh and worked for howard in new york and uh and and my dad out of world war ii became an attorney after uh graduating second in his class from Annapolis and fighting in World War II as a commander and a destroyer. And then after Annapolis, he uh, got his law degree and worked as a pro tem judge and negotiated the building of the Kennedy JFK airport uh, out in New York uh, between the city of New York and the five major airlines. And uh, apparently Howard thought he did such a great job in the negotiations. He was a fair, reasonable, just a good man. Honor, integrity, loyalty, kind to people, never raised his voice, got people to live up to, you know, expectations rather than demean them, that kind of thing, uh, positive reinforcement. And so Howard hired him uh, on the spot after the negotiations. And, and that's how my dad met my mom who was very close to Howard working in the offices and hiring and all that. Mom also taught flight instructor training as well. But uh, so they got married and uh, then dad left. And so uh, Howard had, that was after the Beverly Hills crash where he broke 120 bones in, in his body. So, and he was lost a lung. And because uh, all these movies about him being all crazy and worried about germs and all that. Well, that's when he got older and he lost a lung and he had a lot of broken bones and he was very ill and sick. And, yeah, he got concerned about germs later on. But he wasn't like that when he was younger. But <clears throat> my dad uh, went up in the right seat of the Spruce Goose. Uh, it's only flight. The, uh, the, uh, he was my uh, Howard wouldn't my dad 
was Howard's good luck charm is what my dad used to say, or my mom used to say about my dad. And uh, he worked for him for about what I'm guessing. Uh, then they pulled him away from Howard for Korea. And, and so dad resigned his commission after two years in Korea and then married my mom. And then we moved up to the Bay Area up in Northern California. And uh, so I was but he I was still working with Howard, still doing stuff with Howard because I was in my mom's stomach when when uh, he would call my dad at like three in the morning because he worked 24 hours a day. He never slept. And uh, Howard Howard Hughes and uh, and my mom, she's a feisty Italian. She was a feisty Italian woman. And, and you know, she told people what was what, no matter who they were. And I think that's why Howard liked her. And, you know, so she's pregnant. She needs her sleep. She's calling dad at 3 a.m. And she just shouts, Bob, get off that phone. You tell Howard. And, she, you know, and Howard could hear her in the bed next to him. He said, Howard, you stop calling Bob in the middle of the night. I'm pregnant and I need my sleep. Bob, hang up the phone, you know, and, and I had to go, um, Howard, I have to go. You know, and, and, and my dad was very mild mannered. My mom was Italian and very opposite from mild mannered. You know, she was a character. So uh, that's that's the story I got from my mom. And uh, and uh, and then dad moved away uh, from Howard. He, he went out uh, onto his own. But then he came down with uh cancer when I was six years old, started getting treatments at seven years old. And I had three younger brothers, one that was just born. Um, and, uh, and he survived what was the terminal cancer, but the treatments uh, destroyed his body. And he, he suffered through the next uh, 30, 28 years of his life, pretty disabled, but he was a great man. He was a great man. And, uh, but that was, a. Uh, and so was my mom. She was an amazing woman who raised four boys on her own, went to work 100-hour weeks, 110-hour weeks for 25 years to keep us in a good neighborhood and pay the bills for a sick husband. And uh, But uh, the, 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 there are some books. That I wish I could interview them more now. My dad didn't talk about a lot of stuff from the past. I found most of the information out from my mom, who knew all the stuff my dad yeah. did. And uh, and uh, but he was a good man. He could have been president of the United States. I mean, he was that kind of guy, uh, just a good. Although maybe he was too honest to be president. Of the United sure. States. Yeah, uh, he was a really honor integrity man uh, uh, down the line and yeah. uh, good man. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, so a, that's, that's an awesome story, story, man. Yeah, that's a story. You know, so I, I remember I was just, a, you know, in my mom's tummy. And sure. after that, they went on and they had a different life. You know, yeah. I um so I grew up in Reading, Pennsylvania, and in that uh, the the Howard Hughes movie that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio yeah, played, him, uh, the Aviator. Yeah, they talk about a a crash. I don't think Howard Hughes was flying the plane. Uh, it was one of his planes, though. It it crashed in Reading, Pennsylvania, and uh, the guy that I used to work for, uh, his dad actually remembered seeing that plane on fire. Like, cause he was a roofer all of his life and he was up on a roof and he remembers seeing that plane on fire, like flying over Reading. I always thought that was, that oh, was that's cool. in Pennsylvania, another crash. Yeah. Was that, that's why, that's why he never, after the Beverly Hills crash where he skidded uh, the roofs of some homes and then crashed on the Beverly Hills golf course yeah. and that's where he broke all those bones and lost the lung. <clears throat> after that, you know, I think he stopped and he was flying then. He, he used to test, test fly the new planes. He, he, yeah. was, the test pilot. And I think that was when he stopped doing that uh, <laughs> after that one. But, uh, 
but he still did the, he did the, he was the pilot for the Spruce Goose, you know, so, but he, he was a great man. He was a great American. I mean, he did a lot of stuff to help the, the government in, in wars and the research, put a lot of money into the planes and a lot of stuff. And he was also a filmmaker. He did all these. He was just amazing. Yeah. So the Spruce Goose only went up one time that, and your dad was in that, that flight on that flight. That's. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah, not a lot of people, you know, it wasn't publicized. But, yeah, he was in the right seat. Uh, he was Howard's good luck charm. He got in the air for 17 seconds, and then that was it. And, it's, <laughs> and then, you know, it was an all-wooden plane. So yeah, yeah. think about it. You know, why would you make an all-wooden plane? It's, <laughs> it's not, but it, it sat there for years uh, down in San Pedro and, and was a tourist attraction for a long time. And, nice. Yeah, yeah, so. I guess that's what mom, she first got hired out of business school out of Delaware and, and she taught the flight instructor stuff because he was involved with all the plane stuff too. But then she moved into the human resources and she was by his side when he would hire people. She was psychic. So so she told Howard not to hire this guy because she got a psychic thing. She could describe pictures, tell you where missing objects were. She she really was psychic. Uh, uh, but uh, go, no, wait, go back to the, the flight instructor thing. She was teaching well yeah it's a, it's a simulator simulator yeah yeah, yeah. She, she did simulator training for pilots but cool. but she but howard hired somebody that she told not to hire and a year later that the guy stole a whole bunch of money from howard so <laughs> every meeting from then on that howard hired somebody personally um she was sitting in on that meeting in the back <laughs> of the room and he would just okay and the person would leave the room and he said mary and she'd go yeah he's good or she's or whatever and hire him. But she would get, cause she was psychic. She, she could tell. And um, she would all constantly amaze me as I was growing up. I met people that were beyond her psychic abilities through the years, but she definitely had a skill. I had things that I'd lost and, and I'd say, mom, I lost my keys. I, I don't know where my keys are. I, or my ring. I, I had a cow ring and she would just think in the kitchen and she'd go, it's on the far left side of the couch, reach down in the corner. And, and I'd, I'd reach down by the pillows and I'd reach way down and I'd go, nah, it's not here, mom. It's not here. She goes, it's reach down farther. And I'd reach down farther and go, and there it would be. And I just, you know, and she just had, she, she'd get these pictures and images. You know. Wow. Greg, thanks so much, man, for taking the time. Ray, what else do you have for Greg? All I got left is uh, what we call the real question. Oh, what's the real question? Uh, you got 60 seconds to answer this one. Casey's the timer on this one. He's in I charge. Okay, uh, 60 seconds? Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. wait I, I okay, okay. Okay, go ahead. I All right. Had to get that in. Who has the prettier blue eyes? You or Frank Sinatra? Oh, I were Frank Sinatra's eyes were blue, weren't they? Oh yeah, oh yeah, old blue eyes. Old blue uh, eyes. Well, you know, I I I always used to occasionally when I was a kid, they used to say the Paul Newman uh, blue eyes. His are a little lighter. His were a little lighter. I don't know Frank Sinatra's, but you know what? They can have prettier eyes, but I've got the rest of this. So, you know, it, it, I don't know who's got better eyes, but uh, 
but as far as the overall, you know, fa- facial features, you know, Paul Newman, Frank Sinatra, they were attractive. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's not like they were ugly. It's just, you know, they weren't quite at my level, but you know, but, you know, they were, they, they did okay for themselves. You know, their but, nicknames weren't Mr. Goodlooking. No, no, exactly. <laughs> Nobody ever called Frank Sinatra, Paul Newman. Hey, Mr. Goodlooking. But <laughs> for some reason they do that with me. I, I don't know why, you know, just maybe it's because right. it's on the back of all my mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> Plug away, man. Please I tell everyone where they can find you. And then uh, I'm going to hit end, but I want you to stick around because uh, I want to okay. talk to you about a couple of things. So it's great. To, great to see you guys again. And uh, I, I, uh, I wish you the best luck and success. You guys are great. Thank you, sir. Plugs, where can people find you? Me? Where yeah, can you. people find me? Well, I'm, uh, I'm here. <laughs> you know, Bosch Legacy is out. Watch Bosch Legacy. Uh, Crate and Barrel show up in that. And, and uh, Troy Evans is, is wonderful. He's become a, a wonderful friend. He's a great talent. And, and he makes me look good most of the time. Um, uh, uh, when I don't screw up, uh, but uh, you know, it's just been a pleasure working with him all these years. So catch out Bosch Legacy season two, and uh, and that's what's out now. As far as uh, anything else coming up, we shall see. Awesome, man! Thank you again, Greg. We appreciate it, man. 